As you're having a seat, I encourage you to open your Bible uh, up to Matthew chapter 16, uh, and we are going to continue our talk uh, and our study from there. Uh, I want to thank all of you for making this a great weekend for the Foreman family. Yesterday, um, we um, uh, had this, a ceremony for, for Kendrick and for Hannah as they began their married life together. Uh, so uh, Kendrick normally stands right there. He plays bass as he leads you every Sunday. Um, so I think, if I'm not mistaken, that that only leaves one singer on our, prayer t- on our praise team that we need to have a wedding for. Um, and I won't mention any names or anything because everybody else is good. So, uh, so I, I think there's just one more and we'll just complete that uh, and uh, we'll start working on that. Uh, but it's good to be here today uh, with you. I do want to say so that I don't forget that this week we are opening all ministries back up. So we took a little bit of a break or a, a longer pause uh, over Christmas um, for, for some, because our team was decimated by COVID. But it looks like everything's good for us to start uh, Wednesday uh, evening with Team Kid and Summit Midweek for our middle school students. Um, and then uh, Thursday morning, men at 6.30, we're going to have a Bible study, a new Bible study that we're going to start back up. It'll meet every Thursday at 6.30 and it'll go till 7.30. That'll be over in the traditional, the older part of the building, the, the, the oldest part of the building. So come up uh, the, the steps by the bank. But 6.30 to 7.30, guys, for Bible study on Thursday morning. And then next Sunday evening, uh, Scott and his team will start Summit uh, back up on Sunday evening. So no Summit tonight, but next week um, and that'll start back up. And we pray that that's how things stay, that we don't have to take another break, but we'll just do what's best for the health of our, our faith family. Uh, so everything is, is back up in this coming week. We are in Matthew chapter 16, um, and we are taking this slow walk through this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And the thing that I like about just working through a section of scripture and and slowing down is we don't have to put so much on us every week that we can just hopefully walk away each week with one thing that we're focusing on um, in our striving to become a better model of the church that Jesus Christ desires and wants for the world. So here's where we are, just to catch us up uh, a a little bit and to remind us of where we are. We started talking last week about the church's mission. And again, for the hundredth time, we talked about how that mission has not changed in 2,000 years. Jesus said it. He said, go and make disciples. We are still chasing after that mission right now because Jesus hasn't come back uh, to to, to take his bride home. So we we are still on mission for him. And we we reminded everybody about the three loves that we use, about our love for God and our worship, our love for people and our discipleship endeavors and how we desire to have community that we can rely on and and study God's word together and live God's word out together as well. And then to love more people because we desire for those who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus to have one. And that's all of our outreach and that's all of our missions. And how in 2022, our focus is on stewarding everything for kingdom growth. Numerical growth, yes, because every soul is attached to a person. So we want to see more people here with us in relationship with Jesus with us. But also growth in maturity. So that those of us who are here now fall more and more in love with Jesus every single day and become more mature Christians. And that's where we are. 
And we started talking about Matthew 16 and something, two things that are imperative to that as we look at this conversation is that Jesus is God and you're not. Jesus is God, I am not. Jesus is the one who left heaven, came here, lived a life we couldn't live, died to redeem us from our sins, walk out of a tomb three days later to defeat death forever. He is the foundation of the church. He is God, I'm not. Right? Where there's a disagreement, where there's, uh, where there's a, a misunderstanding, I'm going with Jesus. Right? He is God, we are not. And he is the Messiah sent to redeem, and he is on mission. And he continues to be on mission today through the Holy Spirit working in his church. You, me. And that's where we are. And, and last week in Matthew chapter 16, as we were looking at the DNA of the church, those things that do not change depending on who the pastor is or who's standing in front preaching on that Sunday or, or what ministries we have going on or, or what the experts say is the current, mo- currently the most effective way to do something, those things that do not change, that's what we're looking at, the DNA of the church. And last week we said that the church is a community of people who know Jesus intimately. And we saw that through the way that Peter made that expression about Jesus, who Jesus was. And Jesus said, good job, Simon, son of Jonah. Good job on that because that didn't come to you through man. That is something that the Father gave you. He didn't learn it from his rabbi. He didn't learn it. It wasn't even something that he came to on his own. God let him know what was coming out of his mouth. Right? That's an intimacy that we should all desire, to be so filled with the Spirit of God that we can't help but blurt it out. So that's the first characteristic, that unique trait of the church that should never change. Today we're going to look at what else we can take out of this section of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, either paper or on your device, uh, uh, move to Matthew 16, and we're going to start again in verse 13. But we're going to expand what we read just a little bit more. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you the truth, verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father God, we thank you for these words that have been preserved for us for centuries, that we can read them today uh, and we can put ourselves into that setting and we can, we can almost feel, we can hear, we can see this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And God, I pray that it's not just something that we see or hear, but we believe in our heart of hearts. And God, help us to walk away today with another just small piece of truth about who we are as your bride, as your church. Father God, lead us to a deeper understanding this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. 
So Caesarea Philippi is where things are taking place. Uh, and I, I, we have a map up here. So here is Caesarea Philippi way up here, right? Caesarea Philippi, it's, it's named after Caesar. And it was, uh, it was uh, this, ten, this region right now in this time of the, where we're reading is being governed by Herod Philip II, a descendant of Herod the Great. Right? And he names this town Caesarea Philippi. Now, it doesn't show it on the map, but there's another Caesarea about right here. So to distinguish between the two, this one's Caesarea Philippi, in honor of Caesar, but also in honor of Philip. So it, it, it's, hey, we're going to elevate Caesar. We're also going to uh, elevate me. So if you, if you see here, this is, I mean, a lot of the Bible, Bible activity that we, uh, we know about happens down here. This happens way up only about two dozen miles from the border of what was Israel, right? Today, this is Syria, right, and this is Israel, right? This, this mountain, there's a mountain range right here, and right there is Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet high, highest point in all the Holy Lands. And it's the base of this mountain where Caesarea Philippi is. Now, Caesarea Philippi was its new name. Its original name was Peneus, named after the Greek god Pan. Now, if you've watched Chronicles of Narnia, you know uh, what, Pan, who, what Pan looks like. He's half man, half goat. This is the god, god that was worshipped in this region, among others. He was a god of fertility, the god of nature. And to worship this god... <laughs> was some weird stuff going on. This is the region, this is the culture, this is the climate, this is the time where this conversation is taking place. It is in this culture where the disciples confess that Jesus is the Christ. And I want us to hold on to that. We can't miss that because it's a powerful statement if we just read through it, but it's magnified in its power when we realize the environment in which these words were proclaimed. So that leads us to our second characteristic of the church's DNA. The church is a community of people who proclaim Jesus confidently. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, if you read that, you can sort of feel the energy in that a little bit. Right? And we talked a little bit last week about how Peter just couldn't keep that in anymore. The spirit was working in him, and he, he, all of a sudden he just blurted it out. The Holman Christian Standard Bible does a better job than a lot of our translations in telling us that. Um, because it ends with an exclamation mark at the end of it, where a lot is just a period. So it tells us, hey, this, there's some energy here. This isn't just a, uh, hey, here's a fact. This is a proclamation about what I believe. But even, if you, even more so, if you go back to the original language, in literal Greek, this would read, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. The repetition of the the makes this emphatic. It wasn't like, um, well, we sort of think, we were talking, and we sort of think you might be, 
the Son of God? No. This was a, you are the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. If we were sending this in a text today, it would be in all caps with about 10 exclamation points after it. Right? Peter means this from the deepest recesses of his soul. I believe Peter was making a point here. He's trying to prove a point. He wasn't proving anything to Jesus because he already knows. But he was making a point to himself, to his fellow disciples, and anybody who was in earshot about how important this guy Jesus was. Peter boldly and confidently proclaims Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. We can see that this is sort of a theme uh, of what Peter is saying, and we'll get to that in, in, just, in just a second. But it says, you, you see here also the importance of what this says and the confidence that this should build in us. But Jesus said, hey, good job, Simon Peter. We're going to change your name here. Hey, this wasn't revealed to you by a teacher. This wasn't something you came up with on your own. This is something that God told you. And I tell you the truth, on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not conquer, will not be able to conquer it, will, be, will not be able to prevail against it. That is the power of this proclamation. That's the power of this church, of this community that's going to take the world by storm because death cannot stop this Messiah. Right? The gates of Hades, that's a Jewish idiom. For all things dealing with death, Jesus here is saying, not even death is going to be able to stop the Messiah. And he proved that to be true, didn't he? And not only Jesus, it's not only Jesus who won't be able to be stopped, but death won't be able to stop his messengers either. Hell does not stand a chance against it. I like to read different different authors and different pastors and commentators and uh, is, is several weeks ago, I came across uh, what J.C. Ryle said about this section of Scripture. It's a rather lengthy quote, but I think it's pretty powerful, so I want to share it with you. He said, Nothing can altogether overthrow and destroy the church. Its members may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, burned, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its afflictions. It lives on through, the fire and water, through fire and water. When crushed in one land, it springs up in another. The Pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored, labored in pain, in vain, to put down this church. They slay their thousands, and then they pass away and go to their own place. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in its turn. The church is an anvil that has broken many a hammer in this world and will break many a hammer still. The church is a bush which is often burning and yet is not consumed. The church will not be defeated, cannot be stopped. Something about what Peter did in stepping forward to confess Jesus in this way serves as an example for the church for all times. We could say that Peter is sort of a chip off the old block, and if you read this section of Scripture, that's what's going on there. Pay attention to the wordplay and the changing of Peter's name here. Right? That's on the one sheet. Go spend a little bit of time with that uh, this week. Okay? If you pay attention, 
it's easy to Peter, not just in this instance, but in his, his, the full breadth of his work, we see that this is a common theme, something that he believes in. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, you see Peter talking again uh, about this idea of, uh, of, of rocks, of stones. He says in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse number 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for him who believe, for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of defense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter is saying that our foundation is Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the coming weeks, but a lot of people here try to divert and say, hey, this profession that is being made, and when Jesus said, on this rock, that he's talking about Peter. No, because the foundation, the cornerstone, is the most important part of building anything. If it is out of kilter just a little bit, the whole building is going to be out of kilter. And you know that if you have something that's just a little bit off here, by the time you get way out there, it's way messed up. And we can see here, we know, if we know anything about Peter, we know that he was just a little bit off kilter. And we can keep reading here in a little bit. It says, right after he said, hey, good job, Simon. Good job, Peter. Right? That, what you said wasn't from anybody else, it was from God. Right after he said that, right after Peter said something wise, at the pinnacle, <laughs> one of the shining moments in Peter's life, a few verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, as he's talking to Peter. Right? Because you are a hindrance. The church is not built upon a hindrance. The church is built upon Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more and more about that. And Peter says, but Peter says, we are living stones. And in the process that led Peter to publicly confess uh, Jesus in the same way, the Lord fashions living stones today. With that same profession of faith that, that, that Peter made, Jesus continues to add to the church. So Jesus was the foundation. Peter made this confession, and he was added as a stone in the wall. And Dave Everly made that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Dave Everly was added as a stone in the church. As, as believer after believer comes to faith in Jesus, they are added as a living stone into the church. That is what builds the church. Peter and the apostles and the first century church fathers uh, and, and mothers laid were, are low on the, row, low on the, the wall, and, but he continues to build that house that is the church 
that's a community of believers who proclaim Jesus confidently. The Father, and the same thing happens. Just like we saw Peter last week where he couldn't keep it any anymore, that the Spirit was working in him, that God was revealing something in him, the same thing happens to us. We may hear sermon after sermon after sermon. We may read book after book after book. We may memorize Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, but it's not until Jesus plants a desire in our heart that we're able to make that confession, that we're not able to keep it in any longer, that we profess that you are the Christ, the Son of the God, the living one. And it's the way he's been building his church for centuries. We respond to faith. We just join Peter and Paul and Augustine and Martin Luther, Clarence Foreman, Ralph Westbrook, Hugh Buzzard. We just join that community, that heritage of believers in becoming the church. We are living stones being built for the church. And Paul reminds us that, that we are being added all to one body. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he shares these words. He says there is one body. Notice the the in the, in the first section of Scripture told us the importance and how important this was. Here, the key is one There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Everything that we do, church, is about Jesus as our God and Savior. We can't forget that, and if we ever find ourselves doing church for any other reason If we ever find ourselves doing church and we haven't talked about Jesus for a little bit, we maybe ought to stop what we're doing. Our focus as a church never becomes about programs and buildings and money and growth and image and traditions or anything else. And to be very blunt with you, our focus can never become more about prayer or worship or fellowship. Those are important. Please don't walk away saying that those, the Tony Foreman said this, those things aren't important or integral to our life as a church because they are. They're vital to it, but they're not the thing. They are a means to an end, and that end is Jesus Christ. Everything that we do is about him. We're forever declaring by our words in our actions. Let me back up. We should always be declaring by our words and our actions that we are all about the Messiah, the Son of the God, the Living One. That's why every time you come into this room, I hope you hear Scott or Tony Postelwaite or Becky or, or Angie or whoever is speaking talk about Jesus because he is our end. Everything we do focuses around him. I don't know if you realize this or not, but we sort of live in a modern-day Caesarea Philippi. We can't count the number of things that we've elevated to a position of a God in our life, in our culture. And we, we have a lot of stuff up here that we worship A definition of worship is giving time and energy and adoration and value to. 
we have elevated all kinds of things to that place. We have our Caesars and we have our pans. We, you, me, the church, we need to confess and proclaim Jesus in our Caesarea Philippi just like Peter and the apostles did. We can see what happened. Right? If, you, if you just read church history, you see what happened in the first century of the church in this region. It exploded because of Peter. No, we see Peter as a broken man, an incomplete man. Jesus referred to him as Satan one time. It spread because Jesus is the beginning and the end. Our times need someone, need someones to stand boldly and confidently proclaim a Savior that they know intimately. Here's my question for you today as we wrap up. In your daily lives, how often does Jesus come up in conversation? Sadly, for a large chunk of us, probably not often enough. Here's how you know. If I just asked that question and it took you longer than that to think of when you talked about Jesus last to a family member, to a friend, it's been too long. I can imagine. We all, we all have people in our lives who seem to be able to direct every conversation back to Jesus. You couldn't get out of a conversation with that person, with him or with her, without going to Jesus. Right? Can you imagine running into the Apostle Paul? I don't think you could get away from that brother without having Jesus come up big time in the conversation. Right? We need to be proclaiming Jesus at every opportunity we have. Do I want you to become Bible thumpers? In a biblical sense, absolutely I do. The Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 2, Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our focus needs to be that intense that we are leaving everything to Jesus. And there's stories in this room of people who have led and introduced somebody to Jesus. And it may have taken a week. It may have taken three or four years. But the conversation kept coming back to the word of God and about Jesus. Let them see our good works and let them hear how much we love Jesus. We should echo the, the prayer that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 6. And if you've been here very long at all, you know that I love this section of Scripture. But we should pray that prayer that he prayed where he's saying, and hey, you guys, and pray for me too. Pray for me that any time that I open my mouth, words will be given that I can proclaim you boldly. Man, we can proclaim a lot of stuff boldly. Love to talk about fishing. Love to talk about being on the farm. Love to talk about my family. Love to talk about this church. Love to talk about the Buckeyes. Love to talk about the Browns for the first four weeks of the season. Love to talk about all kinds of things. 
And it's easy for me to do that. It's easy for me to, 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 to meet up with Jeff Howe and just continue a conversation that we started three months ago. And we may not have seen each other for a number of years, but we can jump right back into our friendship and conversation. It should be that easy for us to talk about Jesus. Because I love Jeff. He's done so much for me and for my family, for my growth. But Jeff pales in comparison to a Savior. And it should be easier for me to talk about Jesus, who has done everything for me, than it should any other topic that we can find ourselves in conversation with. We, church, are called, no, we are created to be a community of people who proclaim Jesus confidently. When is the last time that you proclaimed him? And then, after you've answered that question, when's the last time we proclaimed him confidently? I pray that that changes for us. If we had to pause to think about the last conversation we had about our Savior, I pray that that changes for us this week. That we are able to talk about the one who died for us. Do you know him? If not, I pray that you surrender to him soon. And if you know him, are you talking about him? Are you bragging about him? Are you introducing other people to him? Because on earth, under heaven, there's no other name by which men can be saved. Father God, thank you for 